turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. So we've been in 1 John for a little bit now, and um, we've looked at a lot of different things. Just We've probably spent a month in 1 John going through his introduction of sorts. Uh, he talked about a couple of issues that were going on, a couple of different things to the local church that he was writing to, this local group of believers. And then about two weeks ago, we, we finally got to what would be the, almost the, the meat of his letter. It passed through the introduction into really what John is writing to these believers about. Um, we looked at the, the call that for Christians to love one another, to, to intimately love one another, to sacrificially love one another. And then last week we talked about just the assurance that John was reminding these Christians that they have because of Jesus. That their assurance is not based on themselves, it's not based on their obedience, it's not based on anything that they had done. But that their obedience is, just, is rooted in Jesus and in who he is. And this morning John is going to also write, to, he's still writing to the same group of believers and he's warning them of false teachers. He's warning them that in their community, in their local body of believers, that there is false teachers who are attacking the church, who have come in and tried to teach false things. And we see this all through the New Testament. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. John is writing about it. Peter talks about it. Almost every New Testament book talks of false teachers. But what I want to do is to kind of give a... To use an illustration, I'm going to show a very short movie clip um, that most of you will probably recognize pretty quickly. Um, Tim and Tucker, I think it was a little bit too old for them, which hurt me. Um, but I think they said they were aware of this movie. So I'm going to use this movie, but pay attention to what the, the bad guy is saying. Just pay attention to the words he's using. Um, just go ahead and watch this. The audio is a lot better on my computer. Sorry. Hopefully you got a couple of those words from the movie Aladdin, which is one of the real Disney movies, um, unlike some of the newer ones that only halfway count. Uh, so I'm going to reference that a couple different times, because if you were able to understand any of the words from for what Jafar or the crazy old man was saying, it was a lot of half-truths, a lot of things saying, hey, I need your help and we're going to be rich. Hey, there's this cave. And a lot of the things that he was saying were not 100% wrong. There was this cave that had all these wonders, but it was this half-truth, this thing that not all uh, was just not fully true. And I almost forgot. Um, so if you're listening to this on recording, that was from Aladdin, the scene with... Um, Jafar in the dungeon where, where Aladdin has been um, captured and put down there. Um, I just realized for recordings we have to cut that out. So it'd be really confusing if you didn't get any of that. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Or people who have, or John is writing about people who have infiltrated the church even. He's warning about false teachers who come in teaching false things and lead people astray. You see, Aladdin goes on a crazy journey after that as he's led astray. But this morning, as I'm going to talk a lot about the false gospels, false teachings, other than the, the true gospel. And before I do that, what I want to do is really just very briefly make sure that we're on the same page with what the true gospel is. 
I, just, I really think it's important that we make sure that we're on this same page. And I, I, I wrote this out. There, it's really hard, I realize, to really briefly get every aspect of the gospel into a very short thing because I kept wanting to build on it. Oh, I didn't say that. I got to add that. I got to add that. So I did a lot of cutting and pasting and everything. But just listen real quick to make sure we're on the same page. Man made in the image of God sinned against their God by choosing to worship the rest of creation rather than God. Their sin now separates man from God and leaves man hopelessly dead in their sin. God, out of his own volition and choice, chooses to save sinners through the sacrifice of Jesus. Through the death of his son Jesus, God rescues sinners and restores them into a relationship with him. It is only through faith in Jesus that man can be saved, and this salvation is accomplished by God through Jesus. So we're talking true gospel. We'll talk, we're, we're talking God saving sinners through Jesus. And Jesus alone, by no other way, can we be saved. So I'm about true gospel. That, that's what we're talking about. Nothing else. But so many other things are being taught in this world. So many other things to hope in. So many other ways to live. And John is going to be warning these people about this. Warning this local church. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 of 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the, has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in verse 1 he says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the, the really this, the first thing that I want us to, to, to get from this is that just the reality of false teachers. The reality of people in the world teaching false things, false hope, uh, false things about God, false, about false gods, all, all sorts of different things. This is a reality of the world. It always has been. I mean, think of Adam and Eve in the garden. The first thing they're told is, is, is a false, I almost said a false truth, a false hope, uh, something, a lie, something that was not true. And, and sin enters the world. And all through both the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, we see warnings of false teachers, false prophets, false spirits. In Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So it's a reality of the world that we live in. And John is saying, hey, the false teachers are there. But then he's going to also give a test. How, how, to, how to discern between right and wrong. How to know whether these 
spirits, what they're teaching, what these false teachers are teaching, whether it's true or not. And I think that these false teachers kind of come in two different ways, in two, through two different avenues. There's those that come from outside the church. The, the world is full of people willing to say untrue things, specifically about, about God, about, about, belief, about what we believe in, what we hold is true. I mean, I, verse 5 says, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. This, again, a reality of the world we live in. Oh, I think sometimes we as the church can be surprised when the world acts like the world. We're surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. We, we're surprised when how much sin is in the world, on the news, on social media, in the world all around us. Like We're surprised by this. But they're from the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. Like, this should not be a surprise for us. But then I think what's more scary for me, at least, is the false teachers that can come from within the church. And this, this is scary. I mean, Matthew, or sorry, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 15 through 16. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits I mean, Jesus is saying there's going to be some come to you in sheep's clothing they're going to come and blend in with you they're going to seem like they're one of you but they're not so it's inside they're they're wolves they're ravenous wolves they're teaching false things not holding to the truth I mean if you, look, if you think back to Aladdin, Jafar comes as a fellow prisoner, another, someone who's not in a very good situation, but he comes to them disguised as someone that he's really not and comes and, and lies and feeds these like half-truths. And I think that from, within the church, we see this in a lot of different ways. I mean, you see this in the Jesus and message that, of, quote, the gospel, these, this false truth that it's, salvation is Jesus and. That it's Jesus and good works, or Jesus and our obedience, or Jesus and insert all sorts of things. And you see that they, they, they get part of it right, but also part of it very wrong. I think you see this as, as entire, entire churches, entire theologies can be built off of verses being taken out of context. So you, get, you pull a verse by itself out and say, this is true, this is what we believe. So yes, that verse is true. But when you take that out of the context that it was written in, you're never going to get what that verse was entirely intended to mean. So it's not that it's, that verse is wrong, but the way that, that we, that false teachers can, I'm not saying we have false teachers, sorry, that false teachers can take that and use that is kind of a, a half-truth or a lie. And I think this is more scary for me than those that come from outside the church. That, he says, this is reality. Paul warns all the time of this. Jesus, they're among you, like sheep's clothing. Jesus also says that you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Jafar's fruits become very evident. I was, I was going to also use the scene where he, Aladdin falls back into the cave and Jafar tries to stab him and Abu bites his arm and, and all that. Um, I was going to use that clip too. But like, his fruits become very evident. Who he is becomes evident. And I, I think we also see this. But we also are given a test, a way to discern fall, like who are, who's teaching a, a false gospel and who's teaching the truth. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Again, we must remember that John is writing to a specific congregation, a specific local church, dealing with specific issues. And from... From, from studying this week, from looking at different things, from even looking at the context of this entire book, see that one thing that is being taught is that Jesus is not the Son of God. That among this church, there's people who are saying, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. He was not the Son of God. He did not die for sins. He did not rise again. And so John is writing to combat that teaching specifically. And, and, before, I, and before I dig, kind of go into this a little bit more, I think that it can be a danger to think that only, that this alone is the only test for false teachers. I think it is a major one. I think we're going to talk about this and how what we believe about Jesus is, center, is central to everything that we believe as the church. But there's a, there's, a, there's a lot more to look at here as well. I, I read a quote this week that said, Tell me what you believe about Jesus, and I will tell you 95% of the rest of your theology. Tell me what you believe about Jesus, and I will tell you 95% of the rest of your theology. He is the center, the hub of all theology. We can agree on a lot of things about who God is. But if we disagree on who Jesus is, then we're on different teams. We're in different ballparks. We're, we're, we're on a different mission. I mean, you think about the Islamic faith. They believe a lot of the same things about who God the Father is, that he is holy, that he is sovereign, that he is set apart, that he controls, that, that he is God alone. But when you talk about Jesus, we're in very different ballparks, very different belief systems. So if, we dis if, if we're not on the same page, if we're not believing in who Jesus is, then, our, then the rest of the theology doesn't matter. And again, even within the church, I think we can disagree on a, we can disagree to an extent on a lot of secondary issues, but we can't disagree about Jesus. That he was fully divine, that he was the Son of God, that he was fully man, that he was the, is the atonement for sin, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended to heaven and will return again as conquering king. We don't disagree on that. We can't, as the church, we can't be confused about who Jesus is. That is central to what we believe. And John is saying, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Lord, that he's come from the flesh, that he is God, is from God. But if a spirit, if any teacher teaches that Jesus is not God, it's a, it's a liar. That teacher is wrong. 
The teacher is false. But we've also been given the Bible. It's a beautiful gift that I think that sometimes, I say we, I neglect regard how important the Word of God that we have is. Like, so many Christians throughout the world, past, present, don't have the same access to the Word of God that we do. There's, I mean, I've read various, uh, I've heard, I think it was David Platt who was talking and said that he's, he was over teaching in some country in Asia, and the, these Christians gathered together so hungry for him to teach them from the Bible because they didn't have it. They, they had been introduced to Jesus, they, they were trusting in Jesus, but they didn't have the scriptures. They did not have that available to them. And they just sat hour after hour after hour begging him to teach them more and more and more. And we have, the, we have access to the word of God in front of us. Like, how do we know what is true and what is false? Like, we have it. We have the word of God that we can dig into, that we can hear from. I'm going to go ahead and emphasize it again. I mentioned it last week. The need for us to be in the Word all the time is so, so important. To read the Word, to study the Word, to memorize the Word, to have it in us is so important. Because as I started out with, we must understand the true gospel if we're ever going to distinguish between the true gospel and false gospels. Every, if we're not relying on Scripture as the test of teaching, if we're not relying on Scripture, every other test is going to change. Every other thing that we come up with, even our own logic, our own understanding, is, is subject to change. It's subject to sin. But like, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. I say that because I mentioned earlier, people have to take single, singular verses out of Scripture and build entire theologies based on one verse or on a section of verses instead of interpreting that verse or that section of verses in the context of the entire Bible. Because nothing was writ written independently. That verse was not written independently of the chapter, of the book, of the testament, of the entire Bible. And if we are going to distinguish between false teachers and the true gospel, we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to go to it. We've got to study it. I mean, I think that's a huge reason, is the reason why we do what we do on Sunday nights and just read through the Bible, talk about it, discuss it. Because we, we, we want to know it. We want to know it. And I think the beauty of this is also within the context of the local church. Like all of this, as we, as we distinguish what is right and what is wrong, as we seek to interpret Scripture, as, as we're in it often, I think the context of the local church is really, really important here. Because this is, this is not my wording. I, I stole this from someone this week. Um, but the, the church is called to be a custodian of the truth. The church is called to be a custodian of the truth. And think, think about what a custodian is. A custodian keeps things clean. Keeps things as they originally were. Keeps it pure. Doesn't build, doesn't add on, but restores it to what it was. Anything else, anything, anybody that comes in and does more than that is not a custodian. 
that's a builder or a contractor or whatever you want to call them. And if you ask Bella, you have to wear a builder hat to be a builder. Um, long story. But this is the role of the church. This is the role of the church. A custodian of the truth. Our, our, our job is not to add to Scripture. Our job is not to, to, to make it better. Our, 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 job is scripture, our job with Scripture is not to change it, but it's to hold fast to it. If anything else gets added on, we knock that away. We, we, we keep it what it originally was. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this you, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see back there again, again, Tanner mentioned this, I think probably a month ago, but the they and us, there's this, there's this difference of groups that he's talking about. He says, they are, they are here, they are from the world, they are listening to the world, the world's listening to them. But that's not who we are. We are from God. Children of God, as we saw a couple weeks ago. And our beliefs, the true gospel that we are trusting in, is going to make us look different than the rest of the world. We are going to look different. I think one of the most dangerous things that the church has tried to do, big global church, is try to look like the world. And I think that much of the American church would fall into this. Try to look too much like the world. Our beliefs do not look like the rest of the world. Our hope in Christ for salvation does not look like the world, does not look like what the world would hope in. And I think that we would be foolish to try too hard to fit in with the rest of the world. We, in Guy's group a while back, we were reading through a book that keep Christianity weird. Keep it weird. Because when you look at some churches... The, the music has to fit the world. The sermons can't be, can't be too deep because they don't want to offend anyone. Community must be shallow because we don't want to offend anyone and we want to accept everyone. There's so many different ways that I think that the church tries to blend in with the world. But what we see here, and John said this a couple weeks ago as well, there's a difference. There's a difference. We've got to hold fast to what we've been taught, even when it's offensive. The fact that we would say that you must, to be saved, you must trust in Jesus. A lot of people take offense at that. And so I think a lot of churches have tried to say it differently, to go around it, to, oh, let's, ugh, that's going to make people uncomfortable, and then people might not come. They might not come back. I think... False teachers within the church have led to that. And I think just the context of within the local church is really important. I recently heard um, a, a well-known, respected pastor, he was asked, 
What, what are you doing about the church down the street that's preaching a false gospel? What are you doing with the church down the street that is preaching the prosperity gospel? That is preaching another gospel that we would say is false, is not 100% rooted in Jesus. And I, and I think his words were really, really good. He, he said, I'm called to shepherd a local flock. I'm called to guard my local flock that I've been set over. And I do that. I preach the true gospel loudly and boldly and clearly so that no one in my church is confused because they hear the, the true gospel hammered home time and time and time again. And then I pray a whole lot for that church down the street, for the leadership of that of down the street, for those people that are hearing that. And I think that that, that, that is true. That, that, that within our church, we need to be so concerned for one another, so loving one another, that we're preaching the true gospel to one another often. Often. And I'm not saying that we don't call false teachers what they are. I think we should not shy away from that. Not blasting individuals per se, but blasting a false gospel that they're preaching. But I think a lot of this comes into play within our local church. And I see that kind of three different ways. The first is the role of the elders. I mean, I think that we've been given authority over the local church to, to guard the teaching. I mean, Paul, writes, or Paul says in Acts 20, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's the, respons that's the responsibility that the elders, the, those that teach in the church have. It's terrifying. But that's what we've been called to. That's the responsibility we've been given. And that's one of the biggest reasons why we are who you're going to see preaching. Teaching in this setting. It's not necessarily because we're better. It's not necessarily because we have all this wisdom and all this, and all this ability, which hopefully there's some of that too. But the biggest reason is not because we're the best at it, that nobody could ever do better. Because it's our role to, to guard what is taught here. It's also, we've talked about it before, if someone walks in off the street and says, hey, can I give a word? Can I stand up and give a word to the church? It's like, hold up. You're going to see one of us grab them, grab whoever it is, and say, hey, we just want to make sure what you're going to say is gospel. We're going to, we're going to make sure that you're not going to say anything false and, and teach something untrue. Because we're called to guard that. But also there's the role of the church as a whole as well that goes beyond just the elders. Because again, I mentioned like how awesome it is that we as the church now have such wonderful access to the Bible. That we have it, that we can read it and study it ourselves and know it. And I hope that what everyone is doing, when, whether it's me up here or Tanner up here, is not just listening and agreeing just because we're saying it, but because it's what Scripture is saying. And you have it in front of you. You can look at it. You can research it. You can study it. 
I, I, I've mentioned before that sometimes I'm tempted just to, I'm never, I'm going to say this before, I'm never actually going to do this. I promise you I'm never going to do this. But I sometimes wonder that if we got up here and said something completely false, if people all over the church say, hey, that's wrong. Hey, that's not right. Come grab us during lunch and say, hey, I disagree. Look at what the Bible says. Or a week later, or whatever it is. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to intentionally do that. But I sometimes wonder, because that is a role of the church, of us as Christians, to know the word, to study it. And this sounds very similar, but also I think it's the role of community. And I mean that differently than the role of just the church as a whole. By that, I mean, when we say community, we mean being involved in one another's lives. Not just Sunday morning, but being involved in one another's lives at a deeper level than just, hey, how's it going? Because as we're in one another's lives, we can speak the gospel into one another's lives. Whether it's in rejoicing, whether it's in grieving, whether it's in heartache, anger, whatever it is, that we can take the gospel and say, look what Jesus has done. Look at how this speaks into your life. We can encourage one another with the gospel. But we can also correct one another with the gospel. We can correct one another with the scriptures and say, look, hey, what you just said is is not in line here. I mean, just if someone is in CG and says, hey, I just started tithing. I just started giving to the church because I heard that if we give to the church that God's going to give me more money back. And we can come alongside that person and say, hey, that's not exactly what Scripture says. What you heard was a lie. That God does not promise wealth on this earth. God does not promise to give you all this money on this earth. But we can correct one another. But to do that, we've got to be in one another's lives. We've got to be more than just, hey, how's it going? See you next week. The role of community, I think, is really, really important to guard against false teaching. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There are false teachers. It's a reality of the world we live in. People who are teaching very untrue things, very false things. Trying to give false hope. People living with a false sense of security on their good works. People who have rejected everything and just trying to be a good person. Our hope is much different than that. Our hope is much different than that. Where our hope is rooted in who Christ is, what he has done, he's died. Atonement for our sin. Fully divine, yet fully man. Went to the cross, died, rose again. Our hope is in Jesus. 
And any other teaching outside of that is wrong. Any other teaching outside of that is wrong. John, last week in verse 24, in 3.24, it says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the church that God has made you a part of. Trust the Bible. As we seek to discern between what is right and what is wrong, if you wonder what is right and what is wrong, you've got the Bible, you've got a church that God has put you in, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And as we trust what God has given us, it says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen to me, the world, I've said it over and over, but the world is going to give us a lot of things to trust in. It's going to say, hey, trust this. There's a cave of wonders. Trust that. Look at all those good things it can give you. Just go get it. Guys, Jesus is better. We say it often. Hashtag Jesus is better. But Jesus is better. Like we can reject everything else. Because in Scripture we see that Jesus is better than anything that the world could offer. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Nothing else is going to compare. Nothing else is going to compare. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Do you feel that? Does that make you want to like burst out in song? Because Jesus is better than anything else in the world. Yes. But seriously, like, does that make you rejoice that Jesus is better than anything else in the world? And you, if your faith is in Christ, then that's what you can rejoice in. That's what you can raise your hands about. That's what you can dance about. That's what you can boldly shout. Uh, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. More than anything else, it's false. Just trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Let's pray.